Oh, hey, I'm glad you're here. There are people who dress a certain way because they want to be perceived a certain way. And that's why sports people, I think, dress like Adam Sandler or adults wearing their high school class ring as if to signify that they 100% have a skin suit and no, none of the skin is theirs. I was never like that. I wasn't a joiner. If I dyed my hair pink and added black cheetah spots, it was for me, not because I wanted to pass as whatever that would be. Maybe like a zoological rave mutant? I, I don't know, but I would watch that movie. There's many styles and ways for people to identify as things or as goth in this situation. I use the term just as shorthand for a lot of people that I adore. Uh, Wiccan, witches, club kids, etc. Maybe it's age, but for me it's a nice warm blanket that just covers a lot. Recently a chef's friend's kids were having a conversation about me and they were arguing about whether I was goth or emo. I guess because I wear a lot of black. My generation would call it goth, just as a sensibility. I never did the corpse paint or wore a velvet blazer and quoted Voltaire. I did wear knee-high boots laced with phone wire. Uh, I guess what I'm getting at is there's how we're seen and what's in our hearts. I mean, sure, in the 90s you may have seen me DJ at an S&M sex party that only paid me an absinthe, but I didn't get there without owning this Mortal Coil box set and most of a black tape for a blue girl's catalog. So I might be more Fleshfield and 16-volt, but I also lean Switchblade Symphony and Car Crash International. Is that enough God cred? Did we do it? Okay. I'll get to the the actual episode now. Uh, I'm sure a lot of listeners are like, what is happening? Well, I have good news for you. We're on YouTube, and we play a game in this episode, and the result you can hear and see on our YouTube channel, VHS. So after the episode, head on over and enjoy. Without further ado, the film is The Crow. Our guest is Goth, and this is VHS. Welcome to VHS, the podcast where each episode is about a film and the guest has the profession or experience portrayed in the film. I'm your host, Dirk Marshall, and you can find me on Letterboxd as Dirk Marshall and on Twitter and Instagram, VHUS underscore podcast. I'm joined by my co-host, Sarah Marshall. Thank you for being here. You're welcome. <laughs> You're Spicy Marshall on Twitter and Instagram. I am. We're joined by Carmelita Valdez-McCoy. Thanks for returning. Hello! Thank you so much for having me back. It's so good to be talking with you two again. Carmelita says on Twitter, what is your letterbox handle? Same. Same. Okay, good. Carmelita says. Simplicity's sake. I, I kept it. it the same. Yes. The <laughs> film that brings us together, our dark hearts, if you will, is The Crow from 1994. The synopsis is The Crow is a 1994 American superhero film directed by Alex Proyas, written by David J. Shaw and John Shirley. It stars Brandon Lee in his final film, film appearance as Eric Draven, a murdered musician who is resurrected to avenge his death and the death of his fiancée. The film is based on James O'Barr's comic of the same name. At the time of this recording, it's not hard to find, but I gotta say, support your local video stores like Movie Madness right here in Portland, Oregon. Let's start with everyone history of the crow carmelita i love this movie yes. i have seen it countless times this was one of those films i saw it right after it came out and it spoke to me it spoke to my friends we fell madly in love with brandon lee as eric draven the aesthetic the soundtrack we were all in this movie was very much a part of, I don't know, like the whole vibe is just, we identified very strongly with this film. Excellent. Sarah, your history with The Crow. 
Yeah, I, I would say the same. I mean, it was quintessential 90s goth movies and including soundtrack. I feel like it shaped what music I went to see, what outfits I wanted to wear. All of those things were influenced, I think, by this movie. And it kind of sticks with you, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I couldn't wait to see it. I saw it in the theater opening weekend. Who could get past the soundtrack, which we'll probably be talking about a lot. Um, <laughs> it was a really big deal when it came out, and I loved it. Of these like 90s comic book adaptation movies, it's definitely my favorite, for sure. For a number of reasons, which we'll get to. The director, Alex Proyas, also did Dark City. I mean, come on. The Crow and Dark City? <laughs> He then did iRobot and Gods of Egypt and some other things. But I think one of the things that makes this movie really special and I think very sort of honest in a way is it had a B-movie budget. And that sort of ingenuity that they had to do kept them very sort of locked into something that felt more DIY and like made by people. There's not a lot of CGI in the film. And I think his later movies, it's like so much CGI. And I think once there's no limitations, I don't know, it feels less authentic, I think, in a way. Our cinematographer is Darius Wolski, who did a bunch of music videos, as did Alex Proyas, including the Paul Abdul Forever Your Girl video. Everybody. Okay. <laughs> Romeo is Bleeding, Prometheus, and Alien Covenant. Our editor is Dan Honing, who did Last of the Mohicans, The Fugitive, and Under Siege. So a lot of uh, interesting talents working on this film. Actors. We have Brandon Lee, Rapid Fire, Showdown in Little Tokyo, Laser Mission. Unfortunately, he was killed by a prop gun on this film before it was even completed, actually. I feel like this is the movie that would have put him over as an actor. I think the makeup helps because he's a he was a very pretty man. So sometimes when you can hide that and people can appreciate the physicality of the performance and the voice, I feel like this was the one that would have done it. Unfortunately, he passed away. He drove all the movement of the character for this film. He came up with the voice. He didn't apply his own makeup, but had his hand in how it looked, how it was worn, and it wasn't like very clean looking. The bullet casings in his hair, he tied himself. Any of the duct tape that he applies to cover up wounds in the film, he wrapped himself. He wanted it to be very much, if it was done by this person, he was going to do it. And I think that's really awesome for the performance. We also have Ernie Hudson, who was in Ghostbusters. I don't think we need to go through the other 253 things <laughs> the man's been in, because he was in Ghostbusters. <laughs> He was brought on because of his soulful nature, and I think that he really is this kind of surrogate parent in the film in a way, and, and he is so sweet in the film. Tony Todd, you gotta mention Tony Todd. Look how young he is in this thing. He plays Grange. We all know him from Candyman, The Rock, and of course Beastmaster 3. Of course. Everybody? Yes. Michael Wincott is the gravelly-voiced bad man in the film. He was in Basquiat, Dead Man, and Alien Resurrection. Love this man. And the rest will just go as we go through the film, because there's so many people. The film was shot on the same back lot as the Hudsucker Proxy. In fact, some of the last stuff that they shot, the streets had already been cleaned up. So if you watch The Crow and Hudsucker back to back, it's the same strip there. Alex Proyas made this while writing Dark City. So the two films are interesting because they're both obsessed with a man lost in a city at night, basically. So he was working through some stuff. The director and the cinematographer come from music videos, and I think that really shows in the film and probably the soundtrack, which is so good. Alex McDowell is our production designer who worked on Fear and Loathing, Fight Club, and Madonna's Vogue video. Strike a pose. There it is. There's nothing to it. <laughs> <laughs> Art director's John Marshall. Oh, my dad. Not really my dad, but uh, it is his name. He was also the art director on RoboCop, so that's pretty rad. So let's press play 
on the crow. We start with an aerial of the city, and the flapping lets us know that it's crow vision. I love crow vision. It's your favorite thing in a movie. <laughs> it's my favorite thing in a movie. I love it. It was sparked from this movie, I think, and now I look for it everywhere. <laughs> yes, we get voiceover about the legend of the crow, and that's really all we need to set the table for the whole thing. I didn't read the comic book. I didn't come from that. So all she has to tell us is that, look, if you die, your spirit can come back. And I don't know, it has to do with the crow. That's all we need. That's the setup <laughs> of the film. People once believed that when someone dies, a crow carries their soul to the land of the dead. But sometimes, something so bad happens that a terrible sadness is carried with it, and the soul can't rest. Then sometimes, just sometimes, the crow can bring that soul back to put the wrong things right. And we're flying over all these miniatures, and, and like I said about the CG thing, there's something magical about this miniature cityscape and the limitations of what they can do with the camera. Because now it'd be, you know, when they eventually make a new Crow movie, we're going to be swinging around pipes and through fire escapes and it's all going to be computer generated. And this feels real, I think, because it was made by hands, but also your brain feels like from another universe in a way because it's smaller. There's something about the dimensions. I don't know, but I love the No, absolutely. It's, you're, I'm like 100% on the same page. It gives it this authentic very real mm -hmm. feeling to it but because of the scale it is also very much a fantasy it feels like yeah. you're in a fantasy world like a fantasy version of detroit yes and it is detroit you know? is it yeah yeah we see the iconic round window a set piece in this film that once you see the film you just can't not picture that round window is that the first round window i saw in a movie i don't know but it becomes such a thing we see photos of Eric and Shelley. They were going to get married on Halloween, which is so spooky. Now, we don't know their goth origin story, but we also don't know each other's. So where did our fascinations start with things perceived as goth or occult or witchy? Carmelina, what was the beginning for you? You know, I think in terms of music and my physical appearance, dress, I was a teenager. Yeah. But like, I can trace the origins of my spookiness back much further than that oh. <laughs> it was like i had this latent spooky tendencies that then after going through a really dark period as a teenager and then i was introduced to this world of music and got into the fashion and aesthetic but like i had always had an interest in like vampires and <gasps> egyptian mythology and, like, oh, okay <laughs> You know, like I'd always been interested in stuff like that. I'd always been a big reader and love like old gothic tales. Mm. I was always into that. Films, I had always gravitated towards the dark characters, like the dark Lily transformation in Legend or oh, yeah. Lydia and Beetlejuice. Yeah. And then as a teenager, like my hometown, there was no goth scene. Mm -hmm. I remember there were these three girls in junior high that were the Death Rockers. They were nice. just like this little triumvirate, this little unholy trinity. And they were like the only ones. So it wasn't really a thing. I like, And I started to discover people as my adolescence progressed. And so I got into the music. And for me, some of the 90s bands that were emerging and then over time was going back and digging deeper into like post-punk from the late 70s and early 80s. And that's kind of where my heart has has stayed for all these years. And when I was younger, you know, I've always said life is a costume party. And so I would go through periods where I would dress less gothic, mm -hmm. less spooky, but it was like putting on a costume. 
And nice. even before I started exploring the goth aesthetic, I kind of like wore costumes. I've always mm. kind of looked at life that way. And <laughs> one day I'll give you a story as an example of like my, my experiences. I was getting ready for school. It was high school. I got all dressed up in this like red, deep red stretch velvet dress. It was like ankle length. And I had an ankle length duster with fake fur collars and cuffs. And I had the choker and my Frankenstein boots. And I was walking to school and all these little children waiting for the school bus started screaming Bloody Mary at me. (laughs) (laughs) There she is. I was so stoked. (laughs) It was exactly the reaction that I wanted. And I think when I was younger, it was about exploring darkness. It was about keeping people at a distance Mm. on some level wearing my identity as a misfit like a badge yeah and I think as I've grown up and in adulthood it's more like this is just who I am and yeah I'm kind of strange yeah (laughs) that's perfect (laughs) Sarah what about you what was the beginning well you know I kind of have this theory about about kids and Halloween costumes and that is that really and I don't like to say this to any parents or to any children really but as a child when I was growing up I feel like when I chose my Halloween costumes I was like practicing who I wanted to be so my first Halloween costumes that I chose were like a witch a black cat a punk rocker and that was you know under 10 and I feel like it continued along the way, you know, and then that was just my life and my everyday wear is like a combination of those three things, you know? So I think like if it's in you, it shows early that that is who you are and who you're going to be. So I think it came out young. (laughs) That's great. Oh, I love that. I've never even thought about that. My first costumes was, uh, not Batman, but Batmite, smaller Batman. Oh, yeah. Zombie. And then I think I was half zombie, half punk rocker. Yeah. So you were a tiny goth dad yeah, as okay. a child, which is how you are now. I mean, I'm not making this up. It's there. I like that. I like that a lot. In the film, we're introduced to skater girl Sarah and Shelly is dying on the stretcher. One thing I really appreciate about the film is the costuming. Sarah feels like a cobbled together teen living in, in lived in clothes. She's not mall goth. This is pre mall goth. This is like back when you'd go to weird stores, vintage stores, and you'd buy stuff that all smells like, what's the incense? I don't know. Dragon's <laughs> Nagchampa? blood, maybe? Nagchampa. That's the one. That's the most 90s <laughs> mm-hmm. of all. Nagchampa. I love it. We have some, and whenever Sarah lights it, I'm like, oh, is it a rave? What are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say about Sarah's style yeah. in this movie, because they do totally nail it. Yeah. So I feel like most of my friends had this look. I can't remember if it was before or after the movie, but it doesn't really matter. With the shaved head underneath, some kind of choker necklace, she has a velvet blazer on over a hoodie, Doc Martens socks. That was a look, and they did it very well, and I feel like... I'm not sure where the influence of the people around me fell. If it was before the movie or after the movie, but it doesn't really matter because she's so (laughs) perfectly done. Yes. Next, we get a freeze frame, which is interesting because they literally are stopping the story and then picking it up a year later, which is, you know, a very clear visual choice. We get more voiceover from Sarah. A building gets torched. All that is left is ashes. I used to think that was true about everything. Families, friends feelings but now i know that sometimes if love proves real 
Two people who are meant to be together. Nothing can keep them apart. She puts flowers on the graves, and she's followed by a crow, which is actually a raven. I don't think there's any crows in the film. Ravens are easier to train, and so that's what they kind of went with. That's correct. Yeah. They're also bigger, and they have a more pronounced or like impressive-looking beak. Ah, there so, you yeah. go. They're all ravens. No crows. No, there's no crows. Ernie's eating a hot dog, and Sarah skates up and let us know that onions make you fart. No onions, though, okay? No onions? They make you fart big time. So... <laughs> That's her wisdom she imparts on everybody. Back in the graveyard, a crow watches as the grave bursts open and Eric crawls out. It's awesome. Let's talk graveyards. Who hung out in a graveyard? Uh, I, I, I still hang still out do. in graveyards. <laughs> Here we go. When I go on vacation, I visit all the graveyards I can. I have the, I, yeah, I I have the most perfect photo of Dirk, and maybe we should post it on your Instagram <sighs> when this episode drops, but we're in on vacation in San Diego, which already we don't totally fit in in San Diego. You know, everybody's wearing their shorts and swim tops and things and you know we step off the plane in what we wear so we're in our you know <laughs> all black gear <laughs> we don't have flip-flops things like that we have to take our docks off and hold them in hand while we walk on the beach but that part is not important what is important is that we went to her like old town and we found this very cool graveyard and I have the most perfect picture of Dirk in like you can tell you're in sunny San Diego because it's like <laughs> neon bright with like palm trees behind and there's this graveyard and the shadows just make it so there's this perfect cross shadow like right next to Dirk and he's just like in all black like checking out this this graveyard and that like that is very typical of what our vacations <laughs> look like. <laughs> I love it. Next, psychos rob of a jewelry store, and Eric stumbles through an alley, and we see that the robbers like to listen to Stone Temple Pilots. I really like this soundtrack, <laughs> but there's certain parts of it that I'm like, you could have gone a little darker. I guess they were trying to mark it by including Helmet, Stone Temple Pilots, and the Rollins band on there, but there are definitely tracks personally that I skipped. And the Stone Temple Pilot one, I think, was already a single, or was already out on the airwaves. We were subjected to it in, in numerous locations, I believe, in the 90s. The bad guys blow up the jewelry store, and the crow leads Eric to his old home, and we get Eric Vision and Crow Vision in this scene, which is a lot of fun. Memory flashes happen of what went down that night, and I always forget that there's sexual assault in this movie. I Oh, yeah. Ah, I, it's it was happening, and I was like, oh, wow, my brain just skipped right over that. That is supposed to kick off your rage, so that yeah. you're okay with him killing all of them. Oh, okay. I feel like. Yeah. It's I mean, where the revenge comes in. I get it. I just, I had forgotten it was there. He does the iconic flip out the window thing and back in, cutting his hands on the glass, and we see that he can heal. Dun, dun, dun. He's got super crow powers. The psycho dudes act insane in a bar, and we see Darla is Sarah's mom, which makes everyone sad a little bit. Back in the apartment, Eric sees the mime mask and applies the makeup. Cue burned by the cure as he puts the makeup, and every goth says, Fuck yes! <laughs> Peak goth. It's so good. There's candles everywhere. Ugh. The cure is playing. Mm -hmm. And yeah, he's... Yeah, it's just quintessential. Yeah, it's perfect. It's one of the two tracks that I bought the soundtrack for. It's one of the two tracks that if you buy this on iTunes, you have to buy the whole album. You cannot buy these songs individual. Uh, Burn was recorded for the soundtrack, and it's really good. It's so good. I and it. I feel like, you know, the best movies, when they're really doing it right, 
it also makes you understand what it feels like to be in the room what it smells like in the room so like if i think of that scene i think of wet leather rain ash cream makeup powder you just know that that's what it smells like and feels like to be in there and that's what your goth friend smelled like and felt like i mean i want to be there (laughs) (laughs) that and clove cigarettes yes oh sadly made illegal now (laughs) because we were all killing ourselves (laughs) i just want the smell though so I good. got a lip gloss once. It was like a lip balm and it was clove oh. flavor. Was it It was sand? like everything I wanted from a clove cigarette minus the headache yeah. and the sore throat. It's one of those smells too that if you were out in the world and you smelled it, you'd look around for where your goth friend was. Like you'd be like, oh, one of my people is around here. That's the <laughs> only people that smoked cloves. And it's also true. the sound of it. It makes this oh, very crackle. unnatural <laughs> yes. crackle that you hear in your ears, but you feel in your lungs. Yeah, it's also <laughs> happening inside of you. Yeah. yeah. Don't smoke, kids. Yeah. <laughs> Not a good idea. Eric puts on his goth clothes. The crow lands on his shoulder. The face is lit up by the lightning. It's just unbelievably wonderful. Uh, next, we see Tintin. Tintin is at a pawn store, and as he leaves, we get Nine Inch Nails covering Joy Division. Oh, my God. <laughs> This is the other track I bought the soundtrack for. Oh, yeah. What? Nine Nails covering Joy Division? I know. Unbelievable. So good. As soon as I mentioned to my friend who I was just at the beach with that we were talking about The Crow, she's like, oh, yeah, good soundtrack. That Nine Inch Nails song? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. The Crow leads Eric across the rooftops, and it's so rad. This was actually just the floor of like a sound stage it wasn't actually rooftops but he's doing all the physical jumping and leaping and it's really wonderful boom crow vision and we see through its eyes is tin tin played by lawrence mason who we all know from hackers right yeah all right. true story eric does a deadfall off the building and laughs because he can't feel pain anymore <laughs> which is very freeing they fight and he says why don't you tell me a story which is pretty scary. Then he kills Tintin. In this scene, the actor was actually afraid of water, so the whole part where his face is being submerged was extremely traumatic and very difficult for them to shoot, but they were able to get it with a lot of resistance. Cut to a club and medicine is playing, so let's talk goth shows. Do you uh, have a favorite or first goth show? Mm, My favorite would probably be the first time I saw Bauhaus. Oh, nice. And it was perfect it was at i think it was the regency ballroom no maybe it was the warfield i don't know it was one of the nicer venues well at least by my estimation of san francisco and it was the first time that Bauhaus was back in many many years and it was like the original lineup so all the band members you got this beautiful theater there's like red leather seats and it just it looks perfect and the crowd Everyone was dressed to the nines, like everybody showed up ready, you know? Yeah. It was just, oh, and they were incredible in the light show, and it was perfect. Did they do Stigmata? Yes. So good. We just saw Bauhaus play, and Peter was very angry (laughs) because of the sound, but when they did- (laughs) At your show, too? Oh, yeah. Because I I just saw them last month. Oh, really? Was he angry? Again, and he was angry, yeah. Oh, he was so angry. Yeah, Peter Murphy's kind of mad. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. I guess so. But Stigmata ruled. He did the mic stand across his shoulders like a cross. And yes. it was very, he gave us the business, even though he was not having the best time. <laughs> so mad. Yeah, so mad. Sarah, <laughs> first or best? I think probably first would be maybe Nine Inch Nails at La Luna. Nice. I can't remember what year that was, but you were there too. I was there too. We didn't know each other then, but we were there at the same time. I would say probably that would be a very special, influential moment in my life. I also think when I saw Peter Murphy, probably around that same time, maybe this is like 94, 95, something like that. Um, I think it was 93. We looked it up before. Yeah, that was really good for me because it is that moment like Carlita was explaining where you see the crowd and you get that being dressed a certain way is part of it and everybody brings it they come like ready to show the performers that they love them by their dress you know yeah it's definitely a feeling right I think you both are touching on something that I really resonate with and that's that none of us I think I'm correct were scenesters we weren't a part of a scene it didn't exist in the towns that we grew up in. So when you went to shows and saw a crowd of people and just different flavors of what you were into, it felt really awesome. Mm-hmm. And like people were really kind of cool and it was neat to see everyone's different flavors because we weren't all just buying the same like kit. <laughs> it's like, oh, my goth kit. People wearing vintage weird furry coats and things like you said, Carmelita, yeah. or pleather pants and, you know, Frankenstein boots. And I just, I loved all of it. It was so, so exciting to see And that evenings would always just feel magical like that. Well, then I think it's what drew me into the city. I mean, I experienced it when I was in high school living in a, you know, a smaller town outside of the city. But then when you go to these shows, you're like, no, this is how I want to live all the time. And so then I was like, yeah, that's it. Any decision that's made from here, I just want to live in Portland. I want to be around people that are like me or that don't make me feel like there's something wrong with me. And I think those shows like make that happen where you realize, yeah, I might not fit in where I'm at right now, but I can end up there. And then, you know, I can be me. Yeah, well said. Thanks. <laughs> we then meet the bad guy, Michael Wincott, and his gal, Bai Ling, and they're having a threesome, and their brother and sister? Yes. Okay, gross. <laughs> <laughs> there is so much to unpack with those two, yeah. and I never saw the Crow sequels, because oh, for me, not... with Brandon Lee gone, it yeah. just I just couldn't. But the Top Dollar and Micah, these half-sibling, they look like vampires, mm-hmm. There's like a black magic element and their whole weird incestuous. I would love a prequel on those two. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. The creep vibe is high for sure. Yeah. It's high. How did this happen? Yeah. This whole amalgam of creepiness. What happened in your life? Curious. Something bad. It would not be a happy prequel, that's for sure. No. They're very well dressed though. I'll yeah. give them that. That's true. And he seems clean. I mean, we see her showering, but his hair has just got this luxurious kind of fluffy flow to it. Mm -hmm. I don't know what product he's using, but back at the pawn shop, Eric arrives and we get more crow vision. Eric recites the gently rapping poem and then he's shot and he heals. And then we learn that Tintin is full of his own knives. He's dead. And there's a giant blood crow painted on the wall. All of the giant crows were all done. They're all practical. None of it's digital. Even the fire crow that we see is actual fire, which... Well, I think you can tell. It's why it looks so good. Yeah, Yeah. it's awesome. At the pawn shop, Eric finds the engagement ring, and we get flashes of their engagement before he puts the rest of the rings in a shotgun and kills the the guy causing a huge explosion. It looks so cool, and the way that they did this was they got smoke, put the camera on the ground, and then dropped the rings down onto the camera. 
Nowadays, again, it would be CGI and it wouldn't look real. Like it looks real to the point where yeah. I'm like, how, what are they doing? It's just all the creative things they came up with. He doesn't kill the pawn shop owner. Oh, that's right. That he he yeah. explodes out he, the back yeah, of the building. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Because he comes back later. That's right. He's not resurrected, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Another crow brings yeah. him back. A real squatty, sweaty version. <laughs> not as fun to watch. <laughs> oh, my God. That just made me picture Danny DeVito as the yeah, crow. Totally. Oh, he'd be so good. I would, I would <laughs> love that. opportunity. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Ernie catches Eric, but he's like, do you remember Shelly? And then he disappears. I think this is the first movie that does that way before the Batman movies and everything. The fact that your hero is there and then just completely gone and... There's always a police captain looking like, what? Uh, oh, he's so good at it. Yeah. <laughs> Eric saves Sarah from a car crash and we get the classic line. It can't rain all the time. It can't rain all the time. But it's summer here and I kind of wish it was. I'm being <laughs> honest. <laughs> We've had a couple yeah. warm days and I'm ready for the rain. <laughs> this is California. We're in the middle of a drought. I would love oh, some rain. Can yeah. we have some, please? I wish we could just share rain because we had a super wet year here. I'll take it. Give it to me. Okay. Ernie draws the makeup on a picture of Eric and we get the crow flying and Machines of Loving Grace Golgotha, which is an amazing song on the soundtrack and probably the best Machines of Loving Grace ever got. I think this is fair. Yeah, yeah. I've also never met another person that listens to Machines of Loving Grace, but, <laughs> but I have it all. So we get the uh, shot through the hand heel and probably the best Jesus joke in film. <laughs> Christ. Jesus Christ. Stop me if you heard this one. Jesus Christ walks into a hotel. Ow. He hands the innkeeper three nails and he asks, Don't you ever fucking die? Can you put me up for the night? Oh, yeah. A crucifixion joke? Come on. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah, he nails it. Oh, good one. Thank you. <laughs> ah. Then we get the scene where he kills Fun Boy in the bathroom, grabs the waitress, looks at her and he says, Mother is the name of God on the lips and hearts of children. Mother is the name for God on the lips and hearts of all children. Get out of town. It's yes. so, so perfect. I mean, especially I from it. someone who spent years doing social work. Right. I wish that I had that power that he has in that one moment to convince her to be a good mom and inject the drugs from her body. Like, I wish that was my superpower. Not now, but as a social worker. <laughs> For 10 years, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I had That's that. It's a great scene. Well, now I don't know about you guys. I wrote a lot of sad poetry. Oh, oh gosh, yeah. As I have a tons. teenager and in my early twenties. Yeah. And so when characters speak, oh yeah, very flowery poet. I just eat that up. Same. I can't help myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a journal or two with this written in it. I can almost guarantee that. Yeah. <laughs> you have boxes. I have <laughs> boxes. I do. It's embarrassing. It's one of those things I think about. Like I gotta burn this because our daughter has finally started reading, and oh, I she's don't want her. Read that song, nah, man. nah. I'm gonna burn it. I'm gonna send it back to where it came. I, I wanted to talk just a little bit about the environment that they're in in that scene too, because yeah. they're at this bar called the Pit Bar, mm-hmm. and it reminds me of a lot of places that I've been in, but specifically one that was in my youth, which is called the Rat Skeller. It's in government camp. And it's this dark, seedy, underground bar. And even in a small town, it's where all the bad things happen. But it's still so 
good, you know, because it gives people a place to be. And I feel like they did a really good job of creating that bar. Even the bartenders are looking out for Sarah, you know, so there is some good within the place, but also really bad things are going down. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. People are also being allowed to do very weird stuff in there, too. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a it's a terrible place, but <laughs> but there's good within it, you know? Right. Yes. There was a different scene shot where Fun Boy actually hurts Eric in this scene because the idea is that every time Eric helps somebody or does something good, he gets uh, more vulnerable. But they didn't really flesh it out, and so they decided to cut it. Darla runs out, and Tony Todd heads up to investigate. Fun Boy has a heart full of needles and the blood crow drawn on him. And then Eric disappears again to visit Ernie, who says, Are you some kind of ghost? Which is... <laughs> I think we've established. Anyway, he touches Ernie and sees through his eyes that Ernie was there the whole time for Shelly, that he's a good man who likes to walk around his house in his underwear and a hat, which I guess Ernie... Who doesn't? Ernie Hudson was very against the hat at the time, and he kept saying, nobody would do that. And the director had to convince him that, like, no, it's just, like, just put the hat on. Like, it's funny. Just roll with it, okay? Next, Sarah puts on a record of Eric's band, and I could not find what this band is. Does anybody know? Is it just something they recorded for the movie? I don't know. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I don't know either. It was weird. I couldn't find anything about it. Crow Vision, as we see the Fire It Up duo doing their Fire It Up thing in the street, a guy goes to the car and the crow lands and Eric's in the back. Love that trick when they do that in the movies. The other guy's hit by a car, but he steals it and cops follow and the chase ensues. I love this car chase. It's 75% miniatures, which you never see in a movie. And I think the way that they cut back and forth, you kind of can't tell. But the cityscape has this sort of ethereal, strange quality to it. But it's like one of my favorite chase scenes. I don't know. You can't tell they're just pushing along tiny little matchbox cars, but it's it's very cool. Eric blows the T-Bird dude up in the car, and we see the crow fire shape, which is super rad. The next morning, Tony Todd investigates Iris's grave, and Darla makes breakfast for Sarah in a sweet little parenting moment. Sarah heads to Eric's old apartment and finds that he was just burning everything, and then she sees him play guitar on the roof. Now, this is the one thing I don't like about the crow. <laughs> tell me. Is the guitar playing. Mm. I don't like a guitar wank, and that's what is happening in this. He does a a solo, and it's just the worst thing. (laughs) I will say that, too, because if you have ever dated someone who's a musician, it's so annoying (laughs) that they want to play their guitar riffs all the time. All the time. In every free moment, you can't ever not hear them playing the guitar. And I mean, I have literally broken up with people because I'm like, yeah, it's cool you're in this band, but like, I can't deal with your guitar riffs every day. I just can't. You should go do you and I'm going to go do me. I felt the same thing. Whenever he played the guitar on the roof, I'd be like, oh. It's a little heavy handed. Yeah, and I get it because, like, they come from music videos and all this kind of stuff, and it's cool, I guess, but I don't like it. There is something romantic about the brooding undead musician on the gothic rooftop playing. Yeah, but I think maybe just do it once. Don't make us live it because we don't want to live it. Yeah, (laughs) we don't want to live it. Sarah says no. I agree. (laughs) Cute Crow Vision and Thrill Kill Colts after the flesh. I love this song. This was made for me. But the weird thing is that this is actually Nervous Christians off the Cooler Than Jesus. I always called it an EP, but I guess it's an album. Nobody's listening anymore. (laughs) Because I loved my life with the Thrill Kill Cult. So when I heard this song, I was like, 
this is already a song. And it is. It's called Nervous Christians. It's like nine minutes long. But what they did was they just sped it It's four times the speed and made it this aggressive, thrashing techno song. It's great. I love it. And then there's all this action unfolds in this scene as well. We get all this gunfights because they were, I guess, Brandon and Alex were watching John Woo movies. And so they were like, this is our John Woo thing where there's just bullets flying everywhere and he's grabbing swords and they're slicing people. It's a lot of fun. Is that the scene that caused his death? I don't know the scene. No, I believe, because you know they don't film things in order. In sequence, like yeah. in order. So it's actually the scene of the original attack. Oh. And he only had three days left of shooting. Mm. And yeah, it was filming that. The best part about this fight sequence is the very end where I forget his name, Skank or something like that, goes out the window <laughs> and he lands on the car. And it's this cop that we saw earlier in the film who said, what the crap? And they cut in him saying it again. Like the body hits the car and he gets out and his lips aren't moving if you look really closely, but it goes underneath the music. It's like, what the crap? <laughs> like They used it again. It. And who's this cop that says crap? Like, it's just so bizarre. I don't know. <laughs> It's such a great sequence, and I love Brandon Lee's performance wow. as Eric Draven is incredible. Yeah. And this was my introduction to Brandon Lee. I hadn't seen the couple of movies he had done prior to this. Mm -hmm. Recently, I watched Rapid Fire, but I wasn't privy to that at the time. And he just, this character is so charismatic yeah. and like magnetic. The way that the Eric Draven character as played by Brandon Lee is the way he works that room before yeah. the killing starts. It's great. I love it so much. Yeah. He went on a special diet, so he lost every ounce of body fat. So he's literally just muscle and bone. And I think that his ability to actually physically do all the things as the character is, is great because they don't have to edit around somebody else yes. doing it. It's just him. It's just fantastic. Next, he does more fantastic parkour as he runs across the rooftops. And there's a helicopter, which is also a miniature, which I didn't even realize. That's how good their miniature work is, that they, they couldn't afford a helicopter. And again, now it's going to be like a CG helicopter with cannons swooping around and doing all these tricks. But it doesn't need to. It's just following him, and that's enough. Ernie picks him up, and they crack some jokes. And some bad dudes are like, kill the crow and destroy the man. They're through playing games oh games interesting perhaps we should play one but in a different <laughs> way this time we're going to fantasy draft a crow soundtrack so we each have brought five songs that we're going to compile collectively it's a collective game into a fake soundtrack for the crow so we'll start with one song each as we go around with you carmelita all right i kind of had a theme going oh great I wanted to go with songs that I love, but I was also thinking of James O'Barr and some of his oh. personal tastes and the things that were influential to him in creating the comic. So we have to have Joy Division. We can't not have Joy Division. So my first song is Day of the Lords. Oh, yes. From Unknown Pleasures album. Awesome. I love it. Sarah? I think I also, at first, I wanted to create just a track list of my favorite songs. Yeah. But then I really had to think about the vibe that the movie's going for. So I'm thinking more like moody, industrial, thinking of Detroit and songs that make you want to do bad things. Nice. <laughs> Devil's so, Night type thing. Yeah, yeah. I like it. Yeah. So, so I went with that in my song choices. So the first one, and this is going to be a weird one, I think. 
but it's really for the bad guys in the movie. And I chose Let's Get High by Lords of Acid. Nice. Nice. I had them on my options list. Oh, yeah, because I we didn't were on have the same page as usual. And my thought was, if you take Thrill Kill out, because they're already in the mm-hmm. original, you need something else that's kind of dangerous and and you know that kids would listen to and be like, "Ooh, what is this? I'm gonna get more into this." And I saw them perform together, and it was the filthiest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Right. Yeah. Great pick. Cool. Thanks. My first one. I'm trying to think of the momentum of the film, and you know, it doesn't have a lot of dragging and I just thought well Sisters of Mercy is great and yes. so I went with Lucretia My Reflection by oh, Sisters of Mercy. Thank you. Yeah you're welcome. It was that or Vision thing and I was like Lucretia's gonna win. I yes know. Lucretia. Yeah. Carmelita your second pick. Okay I don't know how y'all feel about Tones on Tail. Love it. But I love Tones on Tail. We have it all and... on vinyl. <laughs> Daniel Ash yeah. was one of the visual aesthetic inspirations in the comic. So I went with Tones on Tales, The Never Never is Forever. Excellent pick. Sarah? My next pick to kind of take up the angel rebirth love space okay. of the soundtrack, I went with the song Angel by Massive Attack. Oh, Nice. You know, Massive Attack, whenever it comes on, there's just something that happens. I kind of describe it as, like, slinky. Like, it makes you, like, like, feel like you're, like, kind of observing and moving through things in this, like, slinky way. I like it. Yeah. Slinky. That's absolutely the right word. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to piggyback your slinky. That sounds (laughs) weird. But, um... Because the Golgotha Tenement Blues song has this slinky sort of vibe, and so I need something to replace that. So I'm going to go with Skinny Puppy's Warlock, the remix by Rice Fulber of, of Frontline Assembly. That's the Eye of the Beholder remix. It's dark. It's kind of like plodding. It's slinky. So I just had to throw that out there as well. I was going to choose the Skinny Puppy, but I knew you were going yeah. to. Because mm. you're more of like the industrial expert, so I thought you'd pick the perfect one, and you did. Oh. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. Good job. Carmelita, third pick. So we need some cocktail twins in here. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this song, and it happens to be my favorite cocktail twins song. I think Byling's character could do some black magic witchy stuff. Okay. To Wax and Wayne. Yes. I just listened to this. Uh, well, uh, three albums I listened to when Sarah was out of town because I watched a Godfrey Ho movie that had cocktail twins on the soundtrack. And so that just started me being like, well, I just want to make sure it's that song. And then I just couldn't turn it off. <laughs> yeah. I just, I Once love... you get going, there's no turning back. Yeah. That era of Cocktoo Twins. I wish that I had seen them then. I didn't get to see them until Four Calendar Cafe, which was a little too new agey for me. It's when things got really softer around the edges. And yeah. it was still a beautiful concert, but it was also my first sit down concert. So I was very confused at what we were all doing. So I was like, aren't we all supposed to be standing <laughs> close to each other? But it was fine. I have embraced the seated show. Yeah, now I have, for sure. my favorite thing now. (laughs) But yes, there was a time when I was just like, who sits? Yeah, it was like one person stood up and then everyone just stared at them like, oh, how dare you? (laughs) And she, you know what she was doing? Being slinky. Being slinky. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I did have a Cocktail Twin song on one of my extended lists, Uh but I chose the song Blood Bitch. Nice. Because the guitar music in that one Mm -hmm. is a little bit harder. Yeah. Yeah. But I can pick another one, though. (laughs) (laughs) 
I literally made a list of, I made my own soundtrack, like 20 songs. Sure. <laughs> Let's talk about how long we each spent on these five song selections. How long did you spend, Carmelita? Was it easy for you? It was easy to come up with songs. Yeah. It was difficult to lock myself into five. Yeah, mm -hmm. me too. As is, I have one, two, three, four, five, six. I have nine. <laughs> That's what I could whittle it down to. But Sarah, what's your next pick? My next one to embrace the revenge aspect of theme that runs through the movie is that I picked the song Revenge by Ministry. Ah, uh, yeah. Great pick. Thanks. I like the song. It could be a little darker. Yeah, it's kind of sleepy. The words are there. The The lyrics are really why I chose it. Nice. My next one is just, it has a vibe that I always thought would be the greatest opening for a Halloween horror gothy movie and I just want to see it so bad I've like written up the idea in my head numerous times and that's Concrete Blonde with Bloodletting a vampire song nice I put it on every Halloween mix that we do it would be a great opening song just setting the tone of okay we're in the spooky world where things are going on get with it I don't know why they're making us get with it but and, uh... <laughs> enter the darkness there you go that's what we're doing Carmelita your next pick I would be remiss yes if I didn't include Susie and the Banshees. Okay. Anyone who knows me is expecting this. <laughs> and you won't be disappointed. I'm going with Night Shift. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. I like yeah, it. Night Shift. Excellent a good choice. One. I agree. I don't know if I told you or said on the podcast, but we have a doorbell upstairs and then one in our commercial kitchen so we can tell where somebody is because we have two doors. And yeah. The upstairs one is Susie and the Banshee's Happy House. It plays it. when you push the button. That's and then too good. Downstairs, because of the hot sauce, it's The Cure is Hot, Hot, Hot. Oh! Yeah. That makes me so happy. It's really great, but it does make it weird for us when we put on a record of Susie and the Banshee's and that song yeah. plays, we're all like, we should go to the door. Yeah, I think that actually yeah. happened when I put the record yeah. on and Adeline went and like opened the door and she's like, what? <laughs> no one's here? <laughs> Sarah, your next pick. Yeah, my next one is going to embrace the mysteriousness and misunderstood concept of the movie. And I'm going to go The Arcane by Dead Can Dance. Oh, wow. We've got all the nice. heavy hitters on here. I love this. <laughs> this is this is, oh, this is a great that's soundtrack. That's perfect. Mm -hmm. And also, you, didn't you buy us tickets to see Dead Can Dance next sure year? Sure did, baby. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so fourth, I'm going to also keep it kind of witchy. And I was thinking, I went from the beginning of the movie, I'm going to the end now. Last thing mm. that plays over the credits. I'm thinking Zola Jesus, who has an album that just came out, Run Me Out off the Versions album, which is where it's remixed by J.G. Thurwell and the Misos Quartet. It's just a lot of strings, percussion kind of builds at the end, and it's just a beautiful sort of caterwaul of cacophony. Oh, good one. I and, love a good cacophony. And you need something that people can belt it out yes, along with yeah. the soundtrack. And that is one of those songs. It's one of my favorite songs to sing. Oh, awesome. Mm -hmm. Good choice Thank for you. me. <laughs> okay, fifth picks, final picks. Oh, the fifth pick. Oh. This is killing me because there's... There's so many. There's so many. And I'm going to do this even though The Cure is on our current universe. Right. Even in the alternate universe Crow fantasy soundtrack, I have to have The Cure on here. I love it. It's just necessary. But I'm going with A Strange Day. Nice. How yeah. hard was it to pick a Cure song? Because I think I, that would take me like eight hours. 
It was very difficult, yeah. but I was thinking of lyrics. Sure. And I was thinking of the musical motif. Yeah. And I also wanted something that wasn't one of the big singles that everybody knows. Mm -hmm. It would be one of those people who don't know The Cure as well, but who get the soundtrack, discover yeah. something new. And then for longtime fans, you'd be like, oh, wow. Yeah. They know what they're talking about. Cuts. Yeah. 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 I agree. You could put the hanging garden in there. Okay, I can't do yes. this with the cure. Thing oh, yeah. Finished, you could do like a whole <laughs> the cure playlist. Yeah, for the crook. that's true. It's so good for this movie because it really is taking place in just one day. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it is a really strange day. And all this stuff is happening in. <laughs> There's a lot of strange things that happen. Strange murders. Yeah, and it's like All Hallows Eve or whatever. So it's the one day the year before and then the next year, but it's right. really just one day. So yeah. it makes a lot of sense. That's a good one. Hmm. And your fifth pick? Final pick. I'm going to go Tricky. Oh. Ponderosa. Oh. Okay. Because it's a lot about results of rage and revenge and, you know, being in the devil's company. Like, I just think it fits with the vibe of, of the evilness of the... I also like that we've taken out the grunge hard rock component yeah. of the film and re you replaced it with some trip hop type stuff yeah. which is way better way more fitting to the tone because i think, I think it sends an energy of yeah it. i mean mm -hmm. it, i mean this is a fast-paced action movie in yeah. some ways or a superhero movie which of, of course is not my jam so you have to fit that vibe i didn't want to just go dark i wanted to like have that energy still be there so i did go a little trip hoppy i think <laughs> Nice. I like it. I like it a lot. No, I'm feeling it. With my last pick, I'm going to bring a little bit more ragefulness to the soundtrack. And with all the things going on lately, I've been listening to a lot of Lady Rage. And so there's one voice that I think was so great. And she was in Pig Face. And I almost picked a song from Pig Face because it would fit the tone. But I think her first band, Silverfish is quintessential for this and I think it would introduce a new generation of people to this wonderful female voice and the song Big Bad Baby Pig Squeal which has the chorus hips tits lips power and uh, Leslie Rankin the vocalist she's just super just aggressive and awesome and I think it would be great now because she's you know we've all gotten older and I think that the live performance would be really awesome and I think it'd be a great moment in the film. So I like to end nice. with Silverfish. And I think this is a good time for some Lady Rage. I yeah, mean, we, that's what I'm know, saying. And I think that that's a great, super great song choice. And I think it's something that people would attach themselves to. And it also brings me to a thought, which is that I haven't seen any of the other Crow movies either. No, they're not great. But why is it always a man yeah. that is the crow? Why can't there be a woman, a really like strong, badass woman? Mm -hmm. That's what I want to see now. With this soundtrack. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, maybe we can make that happen. My I would love that. Done. Yeah, <laughs> my work here is done. Okay, well, that is an excellent assemblage of songs. So I think that we did a fantastic job. Pat ourselves on the back. Whoop, whoop. Like that. Back in the film, Eric encounters a slow-mo of kids running past him. And one of the kids is wearing the Dracula mask that a kid on the bus has in Trick or Treat which I thought was pretty awesome. So I don't know if that director was a fan of The Crow or if that's just a mask that was regionally available. I'm not sure, but... I think it had to be on purpose. Yeah, it seems like it. Yeah, for sure. Eric finds Sarah sleeping at the graveyard. He says it's the safest place to be. Love it. Uh, we get a sweet moment where he gives Sarah Shelley's necklace. And there was a scene shot here with Skull Cowboy, which I guess is a character from the comic book. And Skull Cowboy, it was filmed, and the person that played him was Michael Berryman, who we all know from The Hills Have Eyes. 
but it just didn't make sense, and so they streamlined it and they cut it, which I think is helpful. I think just having Eric as the supernatural person and not introducing even more keeps it more c- cohesive, I think. Tony kidnaps Sarah, but luckily a crow sees, so Eric arrives. They shoot the crow, and he says, ah, fuck, which is <laughs> always good. <laughs> Ernie arrives, we get a shootout. Ernie, a Ghostbuster, kills Tony Todd, who's Candyman, which is cinema magic. I think it's what my dreams are made <laughs> That is what your dreams are like. <laughs> Eric fights Michael Wincott on the roof. Eric passes 30 hours of pain, and the bad dude dies on a gargoyle, which spews blood. I guess there's a cut where the gargoyle like bursts through his chest, but they had to cut it for the R rating. I want to see that so bad. <laughs> I feel like that was the effect that could have gone longer. Yeah. Like, I mean, you see for like half a second blood coming out of the gargoyle's mouth, and it's so good. Yeah. But it just it's cuts awesome. away really fast. Yes. It's too fast. Eric returns to Shelly's grave, and Sarah says it can't rain all the time. And then Eric sees Shelly, and it ends with the idea that real love is forever. Never stop loving people who've died. Cue Jane Cyberry. I think I said that right. Final thoughts on The Crow from 1994. My final thoughts are I'm still into it. It still works for me. I hadn't seen it in, I don't know, 15 years or something? A long time. I hadn't seen it in a very long time. And I was like, oh, what if I'm not into it? Into it. That makes my heart so happy to hear that. (laughs) I love that. As I said at the top, this is one that I revisit quite a bit. I think one of the joys of my life is friends that I had as a teenager that we've kept in touch. And now Mm. they're of an age that they're showing their teenagers this movie. There's just something really magical. There's a dark magic to this film (laughs) that I love. There's the tragedy that surrounds the making of this film Mm -hmm. is something that I think adds a weight to it. And it's, I don't know how to describe it. It's a film with a lot of feeling and I still really feel it every time I watch it. I think with things like that though, the way that I like to think about it is that he gave his life for this movie. So it's worth it. You know, it's worth his life. And so we have to honor it and love it and embrace it rather than being like, somebody died making this movie we shouldn't watch it because they could have shelved it if people associate the tragedy with the movie then we're not honoring what he did for it i mean he sacrificed himself to make this amazing movie so we have to hold it in high regard i think yep i i totally agree i hadn't seen this movie i maybe watched it once on video but i last time i remember seeing it was in the theater this like i said the soundtrack was like heavy rotation for sure parts of it so I was nervous as well. And when I bought the Blu-ray, Sarah, first of all, was she was like, what? you don't own this? <laughs> I, was like, I know, it seems like I should own this. But I put it on and I was nervous for all the special effects reasons. I just thought, oh no, you know. But luckily, because there's only two CG healing shots, it looks amazing. And it's so wonderful that you feel like you're dropped into this bizarre world. And this person is, I mean, it's a movie about, true love there's a revenge element of course too but it's about things living on and unfortunately he he did pass but he like you said he does live on through this and hearing the director talk about everything that he put into it and what he brought to the character he really just made it i mean he put everything he had into this and yeah there's no outdoing that i think there was a tv series as well that i think had mark dacascus play the crow but i could be wrong but yeah i just think this is it's a one and done for me. The Crow is 
Same. That's perfect. Mm-hmm. I toy with the idea sometimes of trying the sequels, giving mm. them a shot, but I just can't bring myself to do it because I think this is such a beautiful standalone yeah. piece of art. I saw the you second know? one in the theater and it's more action-y, I guess, and less emotional, if that makes sense. And it just felt like they were trying to trying to regurgitate this film, but not working. And then the third one is the one that has Edward Furlong as the crow, I think. And that one's not not my favorite, I'll just say, in case he's listening. Anyway, Edward, hope you're well. <laughs> Which brings us to a few goth questions for the table. What Ooh. is a good day like for a goth? For me, it's an overcast day, temperatures in the 50s, So that I can have like my big coat. Yes. It's about layers. I love it. And my boots and walking around a cemetery. I legitimately love walking around cemeteries. Yeah, same. That's like a beautiful day to me. Sarah, you agree on all fronts? I think that's good for you. (laughs) You love an overcast day. I do. I I do. currently. But I think I would choose more, you know, so I'm not thinking about in my youth. Because it would be totally different. It sure. would be, oh yeah, maybe going to a show or dancing at La Luna or mm-hmm. you know something like that. Going to the Roxy, like those kinds of things, would be my perfect younger activities. Yes, but you're asking for right now. Sure. Well, I think as a mom who has a child who is getting into a spooky child and into being spooky, which she always has been. She's always liked monsters and things, but then. But then we were really encouraging her to be her own person because I didn't want her to just become us because we're her parents. So, you know, she got very into princesses and pink and things like that. But now I think a good day for me with a young daughter who is deciding that she wants to wear black and have me paint her fingernails black. I think that's a really fun day to go shopping for clothes because she wants to change her wardrobe into something else. She wants to experiment with different makeup. She wants to look into anime and monster stories. I think that's a good goth mom day for me is to like be there for my kid and let her know whatever path she chooses, even if it's not this one, I'm here for it. So that it's been pretty fun just in the last like couple of months to have that be her thing mm-hmm. i'm absorbing it and loving it because it's probably going to change she'd be like <laughs> i don't know for a while i thought she was going to be like really into horses and be like a cowgirl or yeah. something and i was i was there for it about her cowgirl boots but i didn't know anything about it you know mm-hmm. so i'm like enjoying this moment right now yeah i agree that's beautiful for me i will go timeless so teenage to now window open rainy day nothing making me leave my room can put music on and draw or in the teenage years zining cutting out stuff and doing a zine Mm -hmm. writing bad poetry all those things just kind of like feel a little timeless but definitely rainy day i love love a rainy day and when you're inside and like you hear it on the window it mixes with the sound of the music coming through the stereo Mm -hmm. i mean shut up yeah it's so good it's so so good any advice for anyone interested in goth Mm. i think maybe start with movies because then you get the vibe of it right away and you either know you're connected to it or not so the even movies with like good soundtracks or you know i think it's a good entry point yeah what movies well this one yeah (laughs) sure 
I think there's all kinds of ones. You have to pick something with a very dark theme. You know, vampire themes sometimes great, mm-hmm. but I think even, oh, interview with a vampire is probably a good one. I think it's a good one for maybe like costuming and makeup. Yeah, I don't know. I you put me on the spot. Oh, sorry, 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 I, sorry. You, you're the one who knows all the movie names and titles. I'll be like, yeah, oh, just... you know that movie with like some witches. No, I think the craft did a lot. <laughs> I love the craft. It did a lot of heavy <laughs> it lifting. It spoke to us. Yeah. Yes. It's, yeah, it's still, I'm still into it. Yeah, Fruits of Bulk, responsible for a generation of people. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Carmelita, any advice? Any advice? I would say you don't have to try too hard. I think with something like goth subculture, the image mm-hmm. of it, I think it could be really easy from the outside looking in to be thinking like, oh my God, I'm going to have to spend hours doing makeup and <laughs> yeah. hours doing my hair. You don't have to try that hard. Yeah. No. That's no? a great, great. I would also say just buy a Cure record. Check out some music videos. I mm-hmm. think music videos are a great Music one. videos. Yeah. I mean, that's what I, you need that visual piece. Yeah. I mean, you know, I said movies, but I think videos might be the piece that's missing these days. I, I don't think, know. I think that music videos did so much for so many directors that people were talking about that made this film. Like you get to do all these tiny little super stylistic short films that music is the heart of the whole thing. I miss those short films and I wish that there was still being made in that capacity. And yeah, I think if you just got into watching Susie and the Banshees, The Cure, some Bauhaus, even watching some of the glam stuff, you know, before things were goth is could inform that. And I think just finding your own style, I think is a key piece. Nowadays, it seems like there's a lot of like cookie cutter goth. And that happens when, you know, something's existed for a long time, because people just keep kind of copying what's currently being displayed. But go back and check out the OGs, weird stuff coming out of the punk scene and everything. There's a lot of fun fashion and hair choices and makeup choices Mm -hmm. that you could do every day. That concludes. You can also just keep it cash. I mean, oh, I feel yeah. like I'm not in costume, you right? Know, but my outfit no. hasn't changed in 20 years. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's also something I don't ever think about. And then someone's like, "Do you own anything that's not black?" And I'm like, "What? Are you... Oh, um, not really. No, there's flowers on some stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have one cardigan sweater and one velvet blazer that are like a wine color. Oh, nice." Excellent. Everything else is black. That's really closet. funny because when I tried to figure out how I was supposed to be professional, which is when, which is when I got invited to speak at a conference and I was like, oh, I don't even know. Like, how do I be me but speak at this conference? So the first thing I bought Carmelita was like a wine colored velvet blazer yes. but with pants. It was like a whole suit. Yeah. And I put it on and Dirk was like, you look like you're going to lead a goth marching band. <laughs> <laughs> You can break it up. You can break it up. (laughs) A black outerwear piece with the pants. Mm -hmm. The blazer with some black jeans or something or black slacks. Like you can switch it up. I'm a big fan of the black collared shirt. Oh yeah. Yeah. I just did my usual. I wore my usual clothes. I was like, why am I trying to be somebody else? They asked me to be at this conference. They want me to do it. I'm going to go as me. And so I did. Yeah. You wanted Sarah. You're going to get Sarah. (laughs) There it is. Here I am, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's the beauty of this subculture that we're talking about, but really any subculture, it all comes down to you just be who you are and embrace who you are. And embrace others doing it their own way. Yeah. 
I can't abide by gatekeeping. No, no, no. Bullshit. Enjoy it. Like, and I have my judgy moments. I'm not going to lie. I'm not perfect. <laughs> I've, I've, I've had some moments, but I think it all boils down to do what you love, do what you feel. How can that be wrong? Carmelita, thank you so much for joining us for this, for revisiting The Crow and for joining us to record. Oh, thank you so much for having me back. It was so much fun talking about this movie with you two. Yay. Sarah Spicy Marshall on Twitter and Instagram. Carmelita Says on Twitter and Twitter Letterboxd. Letterboxd. Until next time, I'm Dirk Marshall, and this has been VHR.